So we've had a bunch of questions come in over time, and I've not had a chance to get to uh, um, a bunch of them, and so I'm going to take one of them today. This comes from Phil. This is going to be kind of a fun one, actually. Uh, I have a quick question for you about something which has always intrigued me regarding Ezekiel 38, particularly verse 4. I realize that some might speculate that Ezekiel was trying to describe military equipment from our era, for which he uh, had no frame of reference, but Ezekiel knew precisely what a horse was and what a sword was, what a shield was. Therefore, it has baffled me as to why he would talk of this battle with horses, swords, and shields if he meant anything other than horses, swords, and shields. Uh, now, 20 years ago, I used to be intrigued by the idea of saints being beheaded in the book of Revelation, yet I believed such prophecy to be true because I take prophecy, which makes sense in its literal and plain sense, to mean exactly what it says, which is also a perspective I take. Uh, sure enough, when Isis came along and uh, when I was uh, introduced uh, to the reality that is um, that being beheaded is an, uh, not an outdated medieval form of execution, but something which we are all too familiar with today. Tragically so. Likewise, I read, uh, read Ezekiel prophesying Gog's army with horses, swords, and shields and cannot help but feel that what he describes is exactly what he meant, which leads me to the questions. Do you think Gog is literally using horses, swords, and shields, etc.? Why do you think Gog resorts to using such primitive equipment? Or do you think Ezekiel was only revealing a part, the familiar part of what he saw? Or is Ezekiel 38 referring to a post-millennial battle wherein all modern weapons have been destroyed during the millennium? I hope you can see what I'm getting at. Sorry if I'm not articulating this well. Actually, I think you've articulated it quite well. Uh, it's just that the Bible also seems to make sense when the plain and literal context is clear and understandable, and when it doesn't need decoding in any way. Ezekiel seems to be very clear about horses, swords, and shields, and doesn't say he saw what looked like horses, etc. Do I have any thoughts on this? Uh, many thanks for your time. Well, thank you for the question. That's a great question, and one that, uh, again, I think is kind of a fun one to address. Um, I also take the perspective that where a passage can be understood in its plain sense, it ought to be taken that way. Um, so let me just talk a little bit about Ezekiel 38 and, uh, and 39 for that matter, just in very brief summary. Uh, this is a passage that uh, has caused uh, many students of Scripture to kind of discuss where it fits in uh, eschatology, where it fits in the last things. Is it a, uh, is it a battle that uh, takes place Prior to Daniel's 70th week, is it a battle that could take place at any moment right now? Or is it, uh, 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 does it fit in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10, where Gog and Magog are interestingly mentioned again after the millennium? This is now the period of time when Satan has been bound for a thousand years during the millennial reign of Christ, which I do take to be a literal period of time and a literal event and a literal kingdom uh, that Jesus will rule and reign over in Jerusalem for lots of reasons. We've talked about this. But uh, if, in fact, what is described in Ezekiel 38 and 39 takes place uh, in Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10, in other words, if this is prophesying not just a future event in Ezekiel, but a way future event, even after the millennial kingdom, um, then um, then it raises some of the questions that Phil Ray raises here regarding the kind of warfare that is being used in that. That's a really interesting perspective. And I think that um, if, in fact, uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39 in space and time happens in that section there in Revelation 20, it's kind of a sensible idea, the idea of the types of warfare, because after all, during the millennial kingdom, uh, swords are beaten into plowshares and all this kind of thing. The typical 
uh, weaponry and arsenals that we would imagine today have sort of been done away with. And so therefore it might uh, speak of a battle uh, that is literally fought on horseback and those kinds of things. Could very well be, could very well be. Uh, Now I do have to say though, I happen to hold the view that Ezekiel 38 and 39 happens prior to Daniel's 70th week, not after the millennium. Uh, And again, people have good, healthy debates and discussions on this. And so this is not a hill to die on or anything. But um, the reason I, you know, one of the primary reasons I think this is because, um, and I'll share a couple of reasons why I think this, and then we'll get into some of the particulars of the question here. Um, The, um, um, I think that in part, Ezekiel 30 and 39 is prior to Daniel's 70th week and not after the millennium is in part because of the description in both. In Ezekiel 38, there is a description of nations uh, that are localized, basically, in that part of the world, uh, in the Middle East, and north of the Middle East. Obviously, you know, Russia is included in this uh, as the leader of the horde, really. But um, that description of the nations that are, uh, uh, the description given to those nations in Ezekiel 38 speaks of a conflict that takes place locally around Israel. Uh, and it mentions a number of nations by name, and it is significant that they're all right there, sort of in the immediate vicinity of Israel. In Revelation chapter uh, 20, there is mention of these hordes coming from the four corners of the earth. And so, uh, and by the way, I apologize, I keep forgetting to look at the, straight out of the camera, and I'll drive some of you crazy. Sorry about that, I'll try to be better. But the uh, the mention there is nations from the four corners of the earth. And so I think what is intended to be taken in Ezekiel 38 is that this is a localized conflict, and what's intended to be taken in Revelation 20 is that Satan now gathers a people from all over the earth who have not, uh, who won't submit to Christ, even after his millennial reign. And so, um, and we've talked about where those people come from and all that kind of thing. I don't want to take too much time on that here. But um, I I do think that those describe two different battles, at the very least because of that. Another reason that I personally uh, hold the view that Ezekiel, uh, his his prophecy takes place prior to the millennium, um, I guess sort of in connection, uh, two more reasons really, in connection with what we just described, there is mention of the millennial, uh, description of the millennial kingdom, uh, the temple, millennial temple, after Ezekiel 38 and 39, in other words, chapters 40 through 48 of Ezekiel seem to be describing the temple as it will be in the millennial kingdom, which I think is a different temple than uh, the one that Antichrist walks into. I think that temple will be done away with because it's desecrated and everything. And I think a new one is established in the millennial kingdom. That's, again, a debatable point. But, um, and so, you know, if, if there is some sense of chronology intended to be taken from that, then the millennial temple appears after that battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Again, that is not by any means uh, a, uh, can be demonstrated to be the main reason why. But if it is intended to be taken chronologically, that would be significant. Lastly, uh, one of my uh, personal reasons why I hold to the idea that uh, Ezekiel's prophecy is prior to Daniel's 70th week uh, is because I think that the events of Ezekiel 30 and 39 precipitate the events of Daniel's 70th week. In other words, I believe that the conflict that takes place in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is one that God directly intervenes in. And I think this begins to connect us with the question of what, you know, should we be taking these things straightforwardly at face value, literally, plainly, or are they supposed to be symbolic of something? I think they should be taken plainly in part because in Ezekiel 30 and 39, we see that God is specifically personally involving himself 
in these battles. Now, you could argue that his hand is on every event in history. That is true. However, there seems to be, uh, just again, in a plain sense reading the text, it would appear that in these chapters in Ezekiel, God is making sure that both his people and the nations uh, around the world, really, recognize his hand in this particular event. Um, You see this phrase, that they will know that I am the Lord. This appears a number of times in these two chapters, both, again, in relation to him speaking to about his people, knowing that he is the Lord. They, they seem to have this false sense of security during this time. And so God makes sure they understand that it is he that is bringing them the victory in this. Um, and also the nations around would know that he is the Lord. Uh, in other words, it's not just that Israel did really well and somehow they just managed to pull out a great victory, but God is making sure that the world knows that he's getting involved in the defense of his chosen people, his beloved Israel, as he has promised to. And so I think that has a lot to do, personally, I think as events unfold in in in, uh, in those days, I think the rise of Antichrist is in many respects precipitated by the events of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, you remember in Revelation chapter 13 how the world worships the beast, saying, who is like him? Who can make war with him? And this kind of thing, thinking that he is... Uh, unstoppable. After all, it seems that he has risen from the dead. He has miraculous powers. His sidekick, the false prophet, is also demonstrating miraculous power. The world at this point is uh, submitting to the lie and everything. So there's lots of reasons why Antichrist rises to power, but I think part of that is because the world is going to be clamoring for somebody who can stand against this God who has come to the aid of Israel in those days. As a matter of fact, that may also inform our understanding of the persecution of Israel that we see taking place in Revelation chapter 12. So um, again, I in, in trying to paint the, the you know, include as, uh, uh, all of the pertinent elements of, of that time and what scripture has to say about it, that's where I land on it. That's my kind of hypothesis on how that unfolds. Now, that being said, there is something very near and dear to my heart in what Phil is saying here in regard to the plain sense reading of the text. Now, in chapter 38, verse 4, by now, if you haven't opened your Bible, I invite you to open your Bible to uh, Ezekiel 38, verse 4, where, uh, again, the Lord is um, pulling Gog uh, of the land of Magog as the chief prince of this uh, horde of nations that will come against Israel. He's putting hooks in, in the jaws and drawing him in in this kind of thing. And in the midst of that, uh, in verse 4, four describes this when he says, I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your uh, army, horses, and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Now again, as Phil mentions, there is mention of horses and shields and swords and that kind of thing. Um. There is a phrase here, uh, and and this is just in the New King James. I'll point out a couple of other translations of this, uh, where there's mention right in the middle of the verse, your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed or splendidly arrayed, as some different versions put it. That phrase is uh, is a uh, the phrase that is there translated that way in the New King James is translated differently in other versions. Um, um, the the and the the terminology that is used there in the Hebrew um, lends itself to a couple of possible interpretations. Um, the idea of splendidly arrayed um, or clothed, splendidly clothed, is translated, for example, in the King uh, in the King James, this way: um, uh, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor. Um, the ESV, for example, translates that same phrase similarly when it says, 
Uh, I will bring you out all your army, your horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor. Uh, even the Net Bible, which um, you know is kind of a modern approach to um, uh, scholarship and in in, uh, uh, in translation in that. Uh, interprets it similarly when it says, I'll turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and bring you out with all your army, horses, and horsemen, all of them fully armed, a great company, and so on, with shields and such. Um, uh, And so, are they... The question comes up, is Ezekiel seeing this literally as a group of horses and horsemen with shields and all that kind of thing... Or is he, again, as, as Phil alludes to, and as is generally the approach, is he trying to describe something that he has no other real way of describing? Uh, in other words, how would Ezekiel describe those things, except with the familiar terminology he would know? Uh, so when he's describing horses, and by the way, in the Septuagint, um, the term, the the idea there is that these are horses with breastplates and all that. So again, a familiar thing to Ezekiel, and certainly a familiar thing to warfare in that time. Um, but it, the question is still a valid one: Is he trying to describe something that goes beyond his vocabulary at the time? Well, it would seem, if we read throughout the entirety of chapters thirty and thirty-nine, that he does seem to be trying to describe some things that are beyond him. When he describes um, uh, the kind of devastation, the kind of um, um, the way that the devastation is handled, uh, fire from heaven. Now, by the way, um, when we talk about the fire and the hailstones and all these things that God is bringing down in this conflict, that typically is uh, interpreted by many to describe things like missiles and those kinds of things. Uh, even Chuck Missler famously talks about, you know, when he talks about bows and arrows, uh, uh, the terminology in modern warfare could refer to missiles and launchers and that kind of thing. I don't think that's an invalid perspective, although I would say, as much of a fan of Chuck Missler's as I uh, was and, and am, um, I, I tend to think that because God is making such a um, such a thing of making himself known to Israel, his people, and to the nations attacking her, and really the world, um, I tend to think that what's being described here certainly involves conflict between those nations, but the elements that seem to be supernatural, I think, should be seen as supernatural. I do think that while they are fighting, in, uh, and, and again, missiles and launchers, arrow bows and arrows, that can be a legitimate understanding in modern times of that kind of warfare. Um, but I do think, again, being one who takes the passages at face value, I do think that God is also getting involved dramatically. Now, as I mentioned earlier, um, if in fact this Ezekiel's prophecy actually does find its place in, in, uh, in Revelation 20, that, that That is an interesting possibility then, because all the weapons and modern warfare and that are, are done away with. And so those nations that come may in fact come, um, you know, uh, as uh, uh, on horseback and those kinds of things. I do find it interesting that when Christ returns and sets up his kingdom, he's coming riding on a charger for war. Uh, and the saints are coming with also, you know, sim- similarly in that kind of thing. And so Maybe, again, this is uh, sort of a an anti-type kind of thing in, in the way that Satan brings his armies against Christ at the end of the millennium. That would be interesting. It'd be fascinating. Um, but again, I, I do think that um, a couple things. First off, I do think that the Battle of Ezekiel, described, uh, the Ezekiel describes comes prior for the reasons I mentioned before. But again, 
we'll see as things unfold. Um, but I do think that based on the passage uh, in its entirety, taken together, chapters 38 and 39, I think it it is fair to at least be open to the possibility that while certainly Ezekiel does know what horses and swords and shields are, and he doesn't say these are things like horses and shields and swords, um, I think it's still fair to be open to the possibility that he is trying to describe things the best that he can, um, and that he may be seeing things like tanks and missile launchers and those kinds of things, and horses uh, may be speaking of troop carriers of some kind, or who knows. Um, and he's just simply talking about things with terminology he knows. There's no real way to know for sure uh, until it ultimately comes about. And so that hopefully is not a huge disappointment because we, we really can't know that from the passage. Uh, and I think that even for someone who tends to take things at face value as in a more literal, straightforward, plain sense kind of way, I think we do still have to be open to the possibility that there is some symbolism in view there, That uh, uh, not symbolism, but... Um, uh, not symbolism, but just Ezekiel's difficulty in describing things that he doesn't really have words for yet. Um, so, you know, I think both are valid possibilities. Uh, I do think, though, that it is more likely that Ezekiel is talking about things in terms that he doesn't yet have words for um, because I hold the view of Ezekiel 30 and 39 happening prior to the millennium. However, I can totally understand if you hold the view that it comes after the millennium, why you would hold the view that this is actually describing things literally as as they actually are. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I guess it'll, uh, some of that will really hinge on when the battle does take place. Um, so, um, so anyway, so for what it's worth, I think it's a great question. And I think it's a great question primarily for this reason, because it forces us to think through uh, the different implications of how we interpret Scripture, the potential implications, like in this case. Uh, it could potentially be indicating that the battle takes place at a later date than uh, than an earlier date, um, and, and that kind of thing. I think it's good for us to approach passages in a thoughtful way like this and consider the possibilities, because if we get so set in our perspectives that we sort of become closed-minded to looking at the text you know, maybe in a more plain sense way, and maybe the implications of that cause us to rethink our positions a little bit. I think that's a healthy exercise, uh, and I think that's all part of uh, delving into the scripture um, in a, in a meaningful and and intentional way, wanting to understand it for what it actually says. Now, of course, when it comes to prophecy, there's always the caveat that uh, until these things ultimately come to pass, we're not really going to know for sure. Um, but I think this is a wonderful uh, question because it, it, it prods us to engage in a really healthy exercise when it comes to uh, looking at what Scripture says and how we approach that. So, uh, and of course, it, uh, my final thought on that is, is that when you approach Scripture, you want to make sure you do so with a consistent hermeneutic. In other words, you apply a consistent approach to Bible interpretation throughout the Scripture. I think that's a very important perspective to take. So anyway, Phil, thanks for the question. It's a really, really good one. And uh, um, and so uh, as always, if you have questions or thoughts or anything like that that you want to share, you can do so in our comments section on our YouTube channel. If you're watching on YouTube, if you are on my personal website at parsonspad.com, 
uh, or if you are on our church's website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. You can also uh, reach out to me via email at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com. And I uh, do my best to try and answer um, uh, as many of the questions as I can. I think it's great when questions do get asked because chances are that, you know, there's more than one person wondering about those things. So I'd like to do a podcast and approach some of these things. So hopefully this was a little bit helpful. We obviously couldn't come to a definitive answer on it and we won't until it happens. But uh, but at least hopefully it's a bit fruitful in terms of uh, prodding us to consider the scriptures uh, as fully as possible and, and uh, even consider our approach to understanding. So praise the Lord. But Father, we thank you for giving us some time to consider these things. And we do pray that, uh, that you would help us to become uh, very, very um, dedicated and intentional students of scripture, that uh, we would do our best to leave our biases out when we approach the word and allow the word to speak for itself and uh, and to consider what it's saying and to consider its implications, uh, both near and far-reaching, uh, in terms of how it touches on the rest of Scripture and, and that. Help us also, as we look at what's going on around us in the world today, to see the events that are taking place around us through the lens of Scripture. Help us not to try to reinterpret Scripture just to fit what's going on around us, but to be very careful to make sure that the Scripture always leads the conversation in our study. And so, We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for all of the various uh, manifold topics that you have spoken to in your word. Most importantly, we thank you that all of the scriptures, as Jesus himself said, ultimately speak of him. And so we pray that you would help us as we study the word to come to see him all the more clearly and to see him for who he is. Uh, And of course, as we do, to fall all the more deeply in love with him and to walk with him with intention. Thank you, Father. We love you and praise you. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your salvation, your forgiveness, all of the things that have been afforded to us and demonstrated to us in and through Christ on the cross, in the resurrection, and daily in our lives. We love you, Lord, and thank you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.